In last week's episode, I talked about how to reduce brain toxicity for better focus, lower anxiety, and clearer thinking. I talked about brain anatomy, specific structures in the brain that help it detox, and the three categories of brain toxicity that all sources of brain toxicity can fit into. Yes, there are only three. If you haven't checked out last week's episode, I strongly recommend it as it is a great foundation for understanding why meditation is so powerful for the brain. On today's episode, we're going to cover all things meditation, why our brains are so noisy, how meditation positively affects the brain, the four types of meditations that you can do, and starter ideas for meditating. I wanted to dedicate a specific episode just to meditation because it is such an interesting and sometimes misunderstood uh, concept, but it really is founded in science. And on today's episode, I want to introduce you to all things science and meditation. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. All right. Well, in last week's episode, as I already said, we went through some really cool structures and anatomy of the brain and how the brain deals with reducing its toxicity and just getting rid of normal metabolic waste that is going into the brain, as well as excessive um, toxins that access the brain. And it's there's something called the glymphatic system. We talked about cerebral spinal fluid. We talked about something called glial cells. If you've never heard of these things, I would strongly recommend you checking out that episode, as we already said, as I already said in the introduction. If you want to check out that episode, there'll be a link in the show notes, but it also really is just the episode right before this one. So you can go and check it out. Episode 43. So I want to start with just assuming you have understand and remember what we talked about in the last episode, that our brains are one big mass of electrical neurons firing. And so there is 
all of these things going on in our brain that is supposed to happen. And that is why one of the reasons why our brain is so noisy. Um, and people have come up with meditation for, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I think thousands. Um, I didn't look that up for this episode, but it's a very old concept, both like prayer and meditation, something that we as humans are trying to do to calm our noisy brains. And so the question is, why are our brains so noisy? Just point blank to begin with. So the reason why is that there are 86 billion neurons in your brain, and they are constantly firing. Not all of them all at once, usually, but Somewhere in your brain, neurons are always firing. That is part of how it works. Your heart always pumps blood and your brain always has neurons firing. And part of what our neurons are doing as they're firing is they are trying to make easy to use pathways. These pathways are things that make us know how to drive a car or know how to speak a certain language easily, at least. They're the neurons that allow us to know how to cook food or how to hold a knife. All of these neurons are these pathways that make it easy for us to do things habitually, to remember what time we need to go to work. All these things are our pathways of all these neurons firing. And so um, a psychologist called Donald Hebb in 1949 actually coined a phrase called neurons that fire together, wire together. And so it's like this welding that happens by us repeatedly using certain pathways. And the interesting thing about those pathways is the more that we use them, the more that we go back to them, whether we're thinking about it or not. So if you have kids and you're used to thinking about, you know, are they safe? Where are they right now? Are they near a staircase? Are they near the stovetop? Like that is a pathway that's actually going to be built. And you might know that uh, if you are around someone, so my husband and I, we're single, we don't have kids. We do hang out with kids a lot, but we don't actually have it. And we notice a big difference between us and our friends who have kids that their eyes and their bodies and their ears are constantly alert for like the sound of children crying or, or just the smallest things that my head is not picking up on. And that is part of the pathways that their brains have created. So our brains create these things for our safety, um, and sometimes they end up harming us, and that's where we can get some of that noise of of reusing maybe anxiety pathways or reusing um, kind of, uh, you know, I'm going to recheck my phone, just almost like if you've ever picked up your phone to check out something on it, texts or Facebook or your bank account, whatever it is you look at on your phone, um, you might realize you've done it sometimes without even thinking about it. It's like, how do, I don't even remember getting on my phone and here I am. That's actually the result of a neuron pathway um, just accessing itself out of habit. Some other reasons why our brain is so noisy is the brain is the, this is actually a result of the brain being so noisy in some ways, but the brain is the most energy hungry organ in your whole body. So the brain consumes 20% of all the oxygen in your body. It consumes 20% of all the glucose in your body, and it consumes 15% of cardiac output, aka blood. And it yet it is only 2% of your body weight. So compared to other organs, other muscles, other bones, it, it's only a fraction of of the body weight of your mass of your body, and yet it's consuming up one-fifth 
almost one fifth in all these categories of oxygen and glucose in your body. So that's just a sign of how much activity is going on in the brain, uh, even when we're not necessarily doing things like rocket science. Although some of us, some people are in fact doing rocket science as part of their daily, daily work. Another reason um, that our brain is so noisy is that, um, and something to understand about the brain and its noisiness, is that some brain activities require more energy than others. So there was a psychologist who wrote a book on this. His name is David Rock, and he wrote a book called Your Brain at Work. And in that book, he kind of breaks down all these studies that have been done on uh, your brain and, and brain activities that may take up more energy or more focus uh, in the body. And he breaks it down into kind of on a day-to-day basis. I really strongly recommend that work or that book, whether you have like a job or a career or a mom, whatever you do, or if you are a student, it applies to everybody. And so, um, but he says that the number one most uh, brain-hungry activity that you do is prioritization. So, And the reason for that is when you prioritize, say, I need to, in my week, the most important thing I need to do is get groceries, or the most important thing I need to do is call the doctor and set up an appointment, or finish an exam, whatever it is that's going on in your life, you're making a priority to say, if nothing else happens, if this one thing happens, that I've succeeded in my week. And so prioritization actually requires you to imagine something that doesn't yet exist, which is in many ways often structure in your week. There's um, something or you might be even just remembering something you need to do and then giving it a name and giving it a due date. All of that takes a lot of energy. It's um, the giving something a due date, all those things, things that we might hate that our professors give to us. If you remember, you know, or being in high school, when you're given like, here's your piece of homework and here's its due date, it's stressful, but also you didn't have to make a choice to prioritize it. And that's something that really changes oftentimes when we, uh, when we uh, graduate from high school and graduate from college is suddenly no one is telling you what to do or when to do it. And it feels like so much freedom, but that freedom actually comes at the cost of a lot of brain energy. And if we don't spend specific time using that brain energy, we might find that our weeks are not as productive or successful as we want them to be. The second most decision or the second most energy hungry activity your brain is going to do is decision making. So decision-making, now something exists. Maybe you're looking at your closet and you're looking at clothing. All those pieces of clothing exist, but you now have to compare them beside each other as well as compare maybe um, abstract invisible ideas such as what is the weather like today? That's an invisible idea. Or uh, what type of occasion do I need to be prepared for today? Like, is today a, a presentation day? Um, is today a, you know, work from home day? Is today a go out for a run day? And we have to think about all those things and then measure them in our, our minds. And that is decision-making. De- choosing what to eat is decision-making. Uh, those, that's the next level of, of just our brain on working overdrive, and then everything else pretty much comes after that. So driving a car, if unless you're learning how to, if you're not learning how to drive a car, it's habit. You have all these pathways, your brain knows what to do. Um, You're going talking to your spouse, using language, talking to someone you're familiar with, that usually takes much less energy. 
Um, making dinner itself takes little energy. If you've if you've made these things before, if you know how to crack an egg or cut chicken or or prep potatoes, these things are familiar. You have pathways for that. Now, I already said deciding what to eat is a very different experience and you may be familiar with like look opening up the fridge and feeling like there's nothing to eat that's actually the process of our brain saying I'm exhausted <laughs> I can't do this right now I don't have enough oxygen glucose rest whatever my brain is in overwhelm and I'm looking at what's in my fridge and I know that I have I can see the broccoli I can see the chicken I can see the rice but I don't actually know how to put those things together. And that's that's why decision making is harder. But if someone just says, here's the recipe, we have all the ingredients, they're right in front of you, make it, it's much less stressful. And that's why my husband and I actually split up <laughs> decision making of what we're eating and who's making it. It's a really wonderful strategy if you haven't tried it before. And then lastly, this is where... Um, meditation comes in. So we get this idea that our brain is noisy partly because it's just being the brain. It's going to act and to work no matter what. And so there's all this electrical neuron output going on in the 86 billion neurons. The next reason is that um, we're doing lots of activities throughout the day. If you're a mom and you're trying to organize when does one kid have to be at one place and when, when do I have to pick up this kid and drop off the other kid and how am I going to fit in groceries in the day? That's a lot of decision making and prioritization and that's an energy hungry activity. So that's another reason why the brain gets so noisy and so frazzled. And then our brain also um, is, is just very energy hungry, which it's just showing up as the brain is taking up resources that the body has. And so meditation comes in and actually can really calm down these things that we see in science all the time. So one of the reasons meditation is effective is that it takes this brain, which is super chaotic and super noisy, and you can imagine these, if you remember seeing on some type of science show or documentary where they do brain scans of people's um, electrical output, and actually they're measuring blood usage in the brain, you can see the if you've seen like there's little red areas, yellow areas, green areas, blue areas where the brain is more or less active in terms of blood output. And that's always going on. But when you meditate, what you specifically do is you narrow down your attention. And attention is a very, very powerful thing. A, a quick note on attention, some there are some economists who are now saying that attention is one of the most valuable resources we have out there right now. Attention is what marketers are paying billions of dollars trying to figure out how to get it from you, how to create the right processes, the right advertisements at the right moments and the right places that make you pause and actually say, I'm going to consider giving my time or money and maybe most often money to this thing. So, you know, whether that's your Facebook feed, knowing that you've recently looked at a pair of shoes or you're considering a certain 
you know, thing for your baby or whatever it is, and then it shows up on your Facebook feed, that technique was developed because uh, they know that that recency, it, it helps remind you and you're already going to be prone to just saying, oh, I, I remember now. It's a reminder. I was thinking about buying that thing. Um, or or when you're on YouTube and a an ad comes up, sometimes the ad is very specifically tailored for you. Sometimes it's not. But ads being funny, ads being uh, catchy, jingles, all these things are meant to try and grab your attention. And so attention is really valuable. But what marketers don't want you to know, and what I do want you to know, what has been so helpful for me and is so important in our health, is that you have control over your attention. Your attention one way that you can actually practice this thing, if you're like, Alison, what are you talking about? I have control over my attention. Like, it kind of makes sense. Like, well, duh, I chose to listen to this podcast or I'm choosing to drive on the street. But sometimes maybe if you're like me, you sometimes feel like you don't have control of your attention. Like like that phone that suddenly shows up in your hand and you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> or if you're driving, maybe the car that swings out in front of you and you're like, how did I not see that coming? And so... That being said, here's a little practical thing on attention. If you are, I'd say, especially maybe if you're driving, um, don't maybe try this later. Uh, but uh, if you're folding laundry, you can just take a moment and pause and just stand there. And suddenly I want you to think about your feet. Where are your feet in space? Are you standing on them? Are you sitting? Are Is one on the ground and one crossed in the air? Are your feet cold? Are they hot? where just think and put your attention on your feet. Do they feel thick? Do they feel smooth? Do they feel clean? Do they feel grimy? Our feet go through lots of stuff during the day, but only when we put our attention on them, like we're maybe doing right now, do we notice things about it. Now, I want you to change your attention to what is above your head. And if you're sitting in your house, it's probably your ceiling. You know, you don't even have to look at your ceiling, but you can think maybe how high above the ceiling, how high above my head is the ceiling? What color is my ceiling? Um, if you're outside, are you under a tree? Are you in your car? Is your car above your head or the sky? Um, now, while you're thinking about that, you probably don't have great awareness of your feet because you are being dutiful and thinking about <laughs> what's above your head. And then lastly, you can think about like your hands. Where are your hands right now? Are your hands dry? Are they warm? Are they cold? Are they a little sweaty? <laughs> and now you've changed your attention again. So we can actually choose where our attention goes and we can do that by setting our intention for our attention. So we actually use this hack of of our attention all the time. And actually the way that we use it most often is when we go to classes. <laughs> and I mean, I'm thinking like yoga classes, a bike class, a knitting class, whatever type of group class activity, like church, um, any type of spiritual gathering where you are together with other people. Um, Zoom is actually really difficult because I think it doesn't really get the same result as we're used to when we're in person at an event. But when we are somewhere present in body with a group and then there's a teacher and they're now telling you what to do in yoga, our attention is so much easier to just be honed. And so we're actually jumping off of or gleaning off of somebody else's 
ability to guide our attention. And that's why even me just now saying, think about your feet, think about the ceiling, you're suddenly like, oh, this is so much easier. Meditation is its own hack and it's a challenge because it is ourselves leading ourselves. That is truly difficult. John Maxwell, who is a leadership guru, he's written wonderful, wonderful books on leadership and how to grow leadership. I recommend all of his stuff. But John Maxwell says, um, he's actually been asked multiple, multiple times, um, hundreds of times, who has been the most difficult person for you to lead? Or, or maybe even like, what type of person is the most difficult to lead? They're just kind of wondering, how, what's the hack for these difficult people to lead? And he always responds, I am the most difficult person to lead. Leading myself is the most per- difficult thing I do all day. And he's right. If, if it makes you feel better, you know, I'm sharing on this podcast, maybe all these helpful things you can do for your gut or for all the, whatever it is. But I have to live that out first. And it's in many ways, the reason it makes it easy for me to speak about it is because I've done it first, but doing it first yourself is hard. So I'm talking about meditating and I do meditate and we're talking about all the benefits, but actually sitting down and doing it, you might be like, wow, that's really hard. We're going to get to that in a sec. I'm going to help you hack that a little bit. But um, in the meantime, let's talk about the benefits of meditation because you're like, if I'm going to even sit down and bother with this thing that maybe you've tried before, or maybe you think sounds kooky, or maybe you think sounds like a waste of time, uh, whatever it is, let's talk about why it actually helps. And we, we've kind of gotten into this a little bit and I've been prepping the stage to understand this. So at the core, meditation reduces the number of electrical impulses going on in your brain. That's it. So when you are um, focusing on one thing, and, and you might actually get have noticed if you maybe listen to a really beautiful song, maybe you're at a concert, and you're just so focused on what the orchestra is doing or, or what is going on with the performer on stage. You just don't, you forget time is passing, you forget your phone exists, you forget about the exam that's due tomorrow, whatever it is. Um, that is actually a form of that meditative uh, hypnosis almost in the moment. And so when we meditate, we reduce the number of electrical impulses just down to what we're focusing on. We therefore, from that, we reduce fight and flight response in our body that helps us lower our cortisol levels. It helps us think clearer, more clearly. We're able to increase our tolerance for slowness. If you've ever noticed kind of an itchiness when, when you have maybe some hours of free time and you feel maybe you need to activate, you're not allowed to rest, um, you're not allowed to slow down. Like I get that way. I'm a I'm a very production oriented. I'm a perfectionist. And taking something that I call Sabbath is really hard because it's too empty. But meditation actually helps my brain practice that kind of quietness. Our brains can get addicted to all those neurons firing and it can actually feel uncomfortable when when you if you're at 50% of output and the brain, part of your brain is like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. We're not thinking as much. There's not as much activity going on. Maybe something's wrong. Maybe, and we can get anxious and we we keep that going up, that that kind of all those neurons firing. And so meditation actually pushes that boundary and says, I'm okay with being calm, not on a logical level. Maybe logically you say, I would love to be calm, <laughs> but on a practical experiential level saying, wow, um, this, this slowness in my brain, this calmness is actually becoming more, more familiar and actually more, more comfortable. Uh, we save our brain energy, which is really important. Honestly, 
pretty much no matter what you do. If you're a student, you need more brain energy for your studies or for your friendships. If you're a mom, you need more brain energy for maybe personal development, your reading or making choices about how to take care of your kids. If you are a career person, um, and of course, especially if you're all of these three things at the same time, you need to save brain energy for projects you're working on or for when you get home and you're interacting with your roommate or you're trying to buy groceries. Meditation is great for increased clarity. It's great for feeling peaceful, which might sound obvious, but it's true and it's one of the benefits. It's great for feeling increased confidence in the control of your mind. And when I wrote that down, that was a big one for me um, of actually feeling out of control of my mind for a majority of my life, having been diagnosed with anxiety and depression when I was in sixth grade, having had uh, so many problems for so long and just feeling like I'm constantly in counseling and I constantly need my medication changed and I constantly am like praying and asking God, please save me from my own mind. And so while I wouldn't say meditation's like the only thing or the main thing that made me feel that I had control of my, my mind, it's definitely one of the things that, that re-ups and says, wow, I, I'm able to actually slow down. I'm able to choose peace and I'm able to activate that even when it actually makes me uncomfortable and pressing into the discomfort and knowing meditation will be uncomfortable actually is really helpful because it makes you feel a little bit less of a failure. Like, wow, I, it's been two minutes and I feel like I need to check my phone or it's been two minutes and I, I'm already thinking about how I need to clean the bathroom or whatever it is, the brain. Those are just electrical impulses. They're going to do their thing and you can ignore them. And that does increase that confidence of like, wow, I'm safe in my own mind. That for me is maybe the biggest thing in my life. And then Uh, You can have increased self-awareness from meditation. Um, That includes self-awareness of like how to emotion to regulate your own emotions, um, how to hold up boundaries. Um, I know sometimes I get finished with meditation. I'm talking about like five minutes. This is not like an hour, (laughs) five minutes of meditation. And I'll be like, oh, I need to say no to that thing that was asked of me that I've been hemming and hawing on. And again, realizing maybe five minutes of meditation, and we'll talk more in a second about what that'll look like, but five minutes saves enough brain energy and calms down that all of your focusing energy into a singular point that you're able to now make a prioritization or a decision-making activity, um, which we know is energy-hungry and with better clarity. I mean, that's worth the price of admission for me. If I can have five minutes (laughs) and make a, a quick decision that's been weighing on me and literally draining and taking up RAM in my brain of this activity kind of going on in the background that I haven't made a decision on yet, like that's huge. And then you can gain insight into your problems and have better prioritization of your days and your weeks. Now, meditation doesn't do all of these all at once. It doesn't do it every time you meditate. And honestly, I use lots of tools in partnership to help, you know, prioritizing my days and weeks. I've used different methods. One of them I've called the Sunday Summit, which I learned from a business coach. Another thing is like, 
you know, your weekly one and your daily three, which is this concept of like choosing one thing you want to accomplish that week and three every day that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, choosing three things you want to prioritize that day, be everything between like, you know, whether that's like maybe, maybe your business or career responsibilities, um, and like personal and personal life responsibilities, all those things you can partner with other tools, but meditation kind of saves that brain space and actually gets your brain to a spot where it can actually use those tools better. So if you do have a tool, if you journal or if you have certain things you do that you feel like sometimes you just don't have the, it just doesn't work. You sit down to prioritize or to make a decision. And you're like, why isn't this working? That meditation could actually be a really big jump and leap for you in, in achieving that. So just as a to re-say this, that meditation is an activity that reduces or focuses brain activity with the result of greater peace, awareness, and clarity. So it is not a it can be connected to spiritual things, but it's not inherently spiritual, at least in the way that I'm talking about it. Um, and and it's and it's a biological process um, that honestly, when I think about when days were times were slower, imagine um, we didn't have cars and you had to take a horse ride from here to 10 miles away. It's going to take time and you don't have a phone. You don't have all the stuff. You're just staring at fields as maybe you're taking a horse ride somewhere. And that in itself was is is extremely meditative um, and and it is, it's just not something, it's not a luxury we have. It's not baked into our society with our fast-paced cars and our instant Instagram and our all of these things going on. And so nowadays, while we have just the beauty of all these instant quick things that have really benefited society a lot, we also have to intentionally choose to slow down. And that can be scary, hard, and also just feel logistically impossible. But it's not. So let's actually talk about the practicals of meditation. I want to talk about the four types of meditation that you have because one of them you might may find is easier for you than others, and I would encourage you to start wherever it's easiest. So uh, number one, the first type of meditation is breath based meditation. Number two, you have imagery based meditation. Number three, you have body based meditation. And number four, you have word based meditation. So breath based meditation is any meditation where you're being encouraged to focus your attention on your breath. So you'll notice again, the, the kind of linchpin in meditation is attention, just as we were talking about earlier, putting your attention on your feet or on the ceiling or whatever is above your head. We do that. And so the attention's being put on the breath. Um, I personally love doing breath-based meditation where I'm just being with my breath wherever my breath is at. I typically don't like uh, meditations where I'm being told when to breathe. Um, that feels kind of performance-driven and can, I've noticed, stressed me out. <laughs> Like I actually feel more tense after doing that. And so, um, but those are options. There's something called box breathing where you actually would breathe in for counts of two. So, or breathe by counts of two. So you breathe in one, two, you hold that breath one, two, breathe out one, two, hold that exhale one, two, breathe in one, two, hold one, two, breathe out one, two. And so you can see it's a two by two by two by two. That's a square. <laughs> so it's called box breathing. Um, and so that though any anything you come across there is breath-based 
uh, meditation. I'll say the most common meditation I use nowadays is breath-based. I'll do a five-minute lay on the ground, um, just focus on my breathing. I'll actually actively maybe increase my breathing, like try to stretch my rib cage and take a big breath, see if I notice any restrictions. I end up blending it with kind of a body-based meditation where I'm aware of how my body feels. Do I have an achy neck? Does my gut feel icky? You know, and so I end up blending it, but that's the simplest one for me. But breath-based meditation for a long time was one of the harder ones. Uh, Number two, imagery-based meditation was the first meditation that was actually super successful for me. And uh, I honestly don't remember the first time it happened. I remember the first time I was doing it consistently, which was in college. But um, if you've ever heard of like guided imagery, that's an example of someone guiding you through an image-based meditation. And so there's lots of options. Some people use like light, like there's a purple light and it's shining on you and it's on your head and it's floating over your body. And like you don't look like, the light as it goes over your head turns yellow on your shoulders. And so you're like very involved. Your attention's very ingrained in this image of what's going on. Um, and there's different pros and cons to different, you know, image-based meditations. Um, and it's not to say everybody's got different ideas on, you know, is this light real, et cetera. But, but the point is, is that you're focusing on whatever the image is. So there's also like in the book that I wrote, uh, Stop Stomach Pain, I actually have a whole chapter on guided imagery. And I have um, that in that book, we actually have links where I have recordings of 10 guided imagery uh, options where you can download them, have them on your phone, just access them, them anywhere. And in them, I had two of my favorite guided imagery uh, meditations that I've done ever. And I do see them all the time with myself, which is a forest imagery and an ocean Im- imagery. And I really love um, what I call like scenery um, image meditation where you're somewhere and you end up, you know, I would in the meditation talk about like, think about like, what does the forest sound like? Is the forest quiet or do you hear wind? Are there birds? Is there rustling? Um, what does the forest look like? Is are you? Is it flat? Is it hilly? Um, is it bright? Is it dark? Um, and then is do you see a pathway in the forest? And and encouraging people like if you see a pathway, walk on that pathway. Where does it lead you? Does it lead you to a big rock? Does it lead you to a lake? And realizing we're actually playing a fun game. And this gets a little bit more into brain theory. Um, but with our sub, we're playing a game with our subconscious at that point where you're actually inviting your subconscious, which thinks in images and it thinks in abstract and it thinks in like relationships to actually talk with your subconscious brain through these like kind of concrete images. And so those pathways that they end up taking you to places and, and what you find there, like, what do you find at the lake or what do you find at the rock? Like can actually speak to you further, um, about what's going on in your subconscious mind. Like I found a dead bird there once and that was really upsetting to me but then I was like oh my gosh my subconscious is probably really upset about something and it was and it was just kind of stuffing it down and I found this dead bird on my just personally guiding myself through this imagery of a forest and I was able to actually take time and grieve over this this you know loss of life and it wasn't I wasn't, you know, I walked away and it, and it was a helpful thing for me to in, in, interact with a part of me that wasn't able to come out maybe or wasn't even I wasn't even asking for it to come out in like my logical left brain side of me. Um, 
And so you have that imagery-based meditation, which again could be like a soul image, like a light, or it could be like a more complex image, like a scenery. And you can find guided imagery on podcasts. You can find guided imagery on YouTube. I actually don't know of any. Uh, there, there are none that I recommend specifically. I've just seen them around. So you can look those up if you really want something guided imagery, or you could buy my book and access that chapter on guided imagery. And we have 10, um, 10 guided imagery moments that I really dig into that forest and dig into that ocean and and some of the other fun ones that we go through. Um, Then we have body-based meditation and body-based meditation is um, if you might have experienced it if you've gone to yoga um, or at least I've this is where I've experienced is you go to yoga and you're in that resting period at the end of the yoga session and the teacher might actually say Um, or sometimes they'll start off this way, like curl your big toe, um, and then release it and curl your, curl your other toes and release them, you know, uh, tighten your calf and release it. Or, um, so there's this experience of tightening and relaxing muscles and that really gets us embodied. And again, the focus is on that, you know, imagining you're like scrunching just your big toe. You're really thinking about that big toe at that point in time. And maybe, you know, if you're in yoga, there's the teacher's voice and like some of the music and it's dark, but those actually are again, helping you focus. So meditation can actually be helpful if you're in a climate controlled room that maybe isn't super bright, um, things like that can actually be helpful to meditation. But overall, you know, we're thinking about the body at that moment. Um, I, the other type of body meditation I really like is when you're laying on the ground and you actually focus on the ground supporting your body. And I, this was probably the second one that I ever used a lot. So I started with a lot of imagery-based meditation in college. I moved a little bit to body-based meditation. I would use it a lot when I was uh, writing essays. Uh, or I just remember being in the library and being really stressed out. I was an English major. And I was just, you're just in there for hours and trying to research. You get lost in like one piece of information you wanted to add or a quote. And you're like, where was that? I can't find it. You've got all these sticky notes or like books in front of you and just get freaked out. And so I'll just be like, I'm going to go find a book aisle in the library and lay down and just lay there. And I would lay on the ground in this super far off corner of the library. And I would focus on the ground of the library, the floor of the library, pressing up on my body. So I would think about start with my heels and really focusing on my heels are resting on the library and the library floor is actually pushing up on me. The ground is pushing up and supporting me. And then I would think about maybe my thighs or my hips and how my weight was really being supported and pushed up and lifted up by the ground and my my chest or my my shoulders and my head and my hands, my elbows, every part of me that was touching that ground um, is actually being lifted up by the ground. And, and it was super helpful because I, I kind of had this visceral experience, so an embodied experience, not just a head knowledge of like, I'm not alone. The world isn't trying to crush me. The world is supporting me. The Lord loves me. All these things. But I actually had this feeling of like, oh, like I'm experiencing my body literally resting on the ground. And if you really focus on it in the right way, you can actually change it from the feeling of your body like being heavy on the ground to your body actually being pushed up and lifted up by the ground. And that's that was a really helpful and a hundred percent meditative thing. I found that on average, when I did that, I never like timed myself how long or short it needed to be. 
I just did it as long as it took for me to honestly feel calmer and just enjoy being in my body again. And it took an on average 15 minutes. And that wasn't me trying to be cool or awesome. So um, again, when, I, when I'm talking about meditation, one of the things that I think turned turns me off to it is this exp- this thing of like, I need to do it for an hour. I need to do it for 15 minutes. I need to do it for five minutes. Like do it for one minute, do it for 30 seconds, start somewhere. But like, as you're doing it, do something that you enjoy. The reason I was able to successfully do it for 15 minutes is because I was so enjoying. It was, I mean, I wasn't enjoying being stressed and overwhelmed and anxious, but I was enjoying taking a moment to care for myself and to feel things in a different way. And honestly, I would often end that 15 minutes of meditation on the library floor and have this sudden realization of, oh, that was the book that I wanted to quote it from. I can now remember. And I got that, and I didn't know it back then, but that was that 15 minutes of just saving a little bit of brain energy, a little bit of that blood glucose, a little bit of blood oxygen for my brain and just letting all that excess, you know, neuron firing that was just probably like fireworks in my head turn down to just a little flame of a candle. And that's much more manageable for both energy usage and focus. Um, And then lastly, we have word-based meditation. And the best examples of word-based meditation are things like OM, which is more like a sound-based meditation, um, uh, but also like repeated prayers. So Jewish tradition, Catholic tradition, Christian traditions have repeated prayers that um, if you say frequently enough, then you create a neural pathway that is familiar. And when you're saying it, you're actually focusing all your energy on it while also being able to lightly focus on nothing honestly so like driving if you've ever had like really good ideas while you're in the shower while you're driving I think those are two common places people experience it Um, it's because you're doing this thing that takes some focus but not all of your focus and uh, similarly uh, when you're if you have a repeated prayer that you've said a lot in your life um, or repeated sounds you make um, that can actually be a great thing of focus. So some people, when they meditate, they have one word they're focusing on, like peace, or I don't, I actually can't think of, um, specific words. I know one, if I use a one word meditation, I say Abba a lot because, uh, Abba is Arabic for, for father. And that is just something that I connect with as a Christian. I connect with God as my father, very, for whatever reason, I've just (laughs) developed a stronger connection with him through the word Abba. And so sometimes as I'm, you know, entering prayer, um, maybe specifically prayer opposed to meditation, which is slightly different. Um, I might say Abba a few times just as like a, uh, like a connection point of just like saying someone's name. Um, you can, so those are kind of word-based meditation. So a single word or a phrase, a word, a verse, um, there's actually, um, in a when I do upper limit training, I talk about Gay Hendricks, who wrote the book The Big Leap, and he talks about he's a psychologist who created something called the upper limit theory. It is a really great theory that um, I am going to be teaching about on the podcast. I've mentioned it here and there, but I don't have a whole episode dedicated to it yet. But he has a declaration that is I expand in abundance, abundance, success, and joy every day as I teach those around me to do the same. And I think that's something else, that's a declaration I've used many times. Um, I mean, that's memorized for me at this point. And that can also be a meditative phrase you use. 
So those are the four types of meditation. And as you think about it, as you listen to them, is there one that stuck out to you more? Is there, did you say, oh, wow, I actually already do that. Maybe you aren't even giving yourself credit for the fact that you lay on the ground and and um, listen to your breath for a while, or maybe that you find yourself being drawn back to certain phrases or prayers that you just end up saying kind of calmly to yourself and they help calm you down. Those are all options. And so starter ideas on how to meditate. Uh, I have a couple. And I mean, just what we listed just now might have been some great starter ideas for you. But I'm also going to bring up some specific resources. Number one, and we're going to put the link in the show notes for this, something called Heart Math. So Heart Math is a... Um, endeavor. It's a it's a device, <laughs> you could say, that uh, was developed uh, to as a breath based meditation, and it syncs your breath to your heartbeat and your brain waves. And the way it does this is you have a device that clips onto your ear, and that that monitors your brain waves, and it monitors your uh, heart heartbeat. And then you have an app that this device connects to via Bluetooth or via like a cord into your phone. And then the app actually tells you when to breathe to help sync your breath with your brain waves and your heart rate. And so this heart math device has actually been extremely well studied. It is a very big endeavor that's international, actually. It has 400 plus independent peer-reviewed studies. It has uh, over 500 hospitals, schools, and organizations use HeartMath as a way to support their students, their staff, and their employees. And in most studies, they find um, that people who are u- regularly using HeartMath as a resource for meditation are seeing changes in their both their mental and their emotional health in six to nine weeks. I actually have HeartMath. It is here on my desk. It's just another tool. I don't use it all the time, but I I like it. Like it stretches me. I actually I I I like it because I dislike it in one of those funny ways because I'm a little bit more independent and I like to guide my own meditations. But honestly, I have so much room to grow as somebody who is pressing into the discomfort of (laughs) the discomfort of being calm, honestly. And this app actually kind of pushes my boundaries a little bit. And so I really do recommend it. I love that it's guided. I love that it's in tuned with your body. So it's not just like boxed breathing doesn't necessarily care where your body's at at that moment, but this, this device actually picks up on that. And so uh, we have a link in the show notes for it. It's a really great device. I recommend the Bluetooth option, but if you want to get a corded, like where it actually like plugs into your phone, you can do that too. Um, other things and resources uh, I would recommend is there's an app. There's lots of apps for meditation. One app is called the Healthy Minds Program. There'll be a link in the show notes. But it is really, I really like the app because it actually grows you in different stages. Um, and so you can start as like a basic, um, like a, base, a beginner uh, meditator. And it has different types of meditation um, that they call like awareness, foundations, insight, connection. Um, and so they have different guided, most of it is guided meditation and it's really great. I use an app called Timefully, which is really simple. It's basically just a timer. Um, but it, it gives me a little dopamine rush because it gives me a tree that grows every time I meditate. And I typically meditate for five minutes and it gives me credit for that. It doesn't need anything more. So, um, you can go on podcast, 
you can check out podcasts and listen, like try to find like an active guided meditation. You can go on YouTube. And then you can also, if you want to read books to just learn a little bit more about the brain, you can read Your Brain at Work by David Rock. And that is a great book to read. And lastly, the most applicable thing you could do after listening to this episode is simply stopping putting on a timer on your watch or on your phone for a minute and just listening to your breath, being with your breath, in, out, checking it out, seeing what it feels like, that totally qualifies as meditation. And it is getting in tune with your body, it is quieting your mind, and is setting your attention in one place for just a little bit and just a little bit of space and time and peace. Well, that is it for our episode today. I hope that you love today's episode and understanding more about how meditation literally clears your mind and your brain. If you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line. Subscribe so you never miss a beat. And if you love this episode and want more resources on how to meditate, you can check out and buy my book, Stop Stomach Pain at betterbellytherapies.com slash book. There'll also be a link in the show notes if you want to buy the book there. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review at Apple iTunes or at the Apple Podcasts. Well, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can do that. And other ways you can stay in the conversation with us is by following us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. I love seeing our new listeners, talking with y'all, hearing what your questions are, and just overall creating a community where we can have greater conversations on gut and health. And as always, just a reminder, if you are waiting for that healthy moment, that you are on the path. Miracles are immediate. We always want things fast and that's okay. But healing does take time. You are on your way to healing. You are learning more. You are growing more. You're pushing yourself. You're resting. And you are learning more about your brain and your body along the way. I'm so proud of you. You've got this.